Well, good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. It's good to be gathered together again on the Lord's Day to worship uh, with one another, to be reminded of God's grace and goodness to us that is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, as Before we begin our worship service, I just want to make two quick announcements. If you turn to the back of your bulletin um, on our announcement page, uh, this week we're having another summer cookout. Elizabeth and John Shepard are opening up their home. You can see their address there. We'll be gathering at 6.30 in their backyard, and the church is going to provide hamburgers and hot dogs and lemonade and water. Uh, we invite you, if you come, to, uh, if, and if you're able, to bring a side or a dessert to share uh, with everyone. And then lastly, some really good news. Um, since uh, the beginning of the pandemic, since March of 2020, our church has kind of been a nomadic church in some ways. And we found a home here uh, at the Northside uh, Nazarene Church. Um, but we are returning back home. We're, we are returning back to Waters on August 28th. Uh, that will bring a lot of new changes, um, but we will have some more space for classrooms and a little bit more flexibility in terms of our time together each Sunday morning. Uh, and maybe even better news for most of you, we're going to start at 10.15 rather than starting at 9. So uh, we invite you to make a mental note of that as we approach uh, August 28th. Now I invite you now to quiet your hearts as we enter into our time of worship. Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 139. If you'd stand, we'll sing together. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Where shall I go from your spirit? O where shall I flee from your presence? Oh Lord, you searched me and owned me, and I, I cannot flee from your presence. Oh Lord, you searched me and owned me, and I, I cannot flee. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Oh Lord, you searched me and know me, and I cannot flee from your presence. Oh Lord, you searched me and know me, and I cannot flee from your Well, today we have the uh, privilege to, uh, to uh, participating in the sacrament of baptism. And I want to invite uh, the Bippus family, James and Kate and Arthur, and their daughter Posey is coming to, to be baptized this morning. 
Well, baptism is uh, a special gift for Posey to be uh, visibly welcomed into the covenant community, to, to affirm the gift of a family that will bring her to, to know Jesus and to be part of a church that will uh, proclaims, that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And this sacrament is, is also good news uh, for all of us here uh, as we witness and as we participate in this, this, this sacrament. And baptism, it is a sign, a sign of what Christ has accomplished, the washing away of sin, and thus our union with him. And it is good for us to, to, to hear again that this water does not itself wash away sin, but rather the, the sacrament acts as a sign and a seal, a visible pledge of God given to the church that we might have assurance that when we express faith in Christ, all the promises of his redemptive work will apply to those who believe. These waters, they, they proclaim that there is something more, something more than ourselves, more than our resources, more than even our goodness, but that there is a God who make, can make us new again, who can make us whole. This is good news for, for Posey and for her family and for all of us here this morning. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for Posey, and we pray by your spirit that you, would set us up, that you would set apart this water for a sacred and holy use, and that all of us watching would be reminded of your grace, that you, uh, you alone can make us new. And Lord, we pray for, for, for Posey and her family that you would bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, James and Kate, um, let me ask you the vows that we ask parents to make uh, as they bring their child to be baptized. Do you acknowledge Posey's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises on her behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do for your own? Do you now unreservedly dedicate your daughter to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before her a godly example, that you will pray with her and for her, that you will teach her the faith, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? What is your daughter's whole Christian name? This is Rosemary Pearl Bippus. Rosemary Pearl, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Let me pray for her. Father, we are thankful for Posey, for the gift that she is to to her family, the blessing that she brings to our church. We're thankful for her life, and we pray, God, that you would, you, would you would uphold it, that you would preserve it, Lord, that you would nurture and cultivate her faith through her family, through her, our church, and Lord, that uh, you would give her your 
your really good gift of grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand that we can offer a blessing for, for Posey. Posey, may the Lord preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. We'll sing as we receive Posey in the church. Will you join me in prayer? Eternal Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the wind who sustains the universe, that puts the stars and the planets in their place. Lord God, we cannot even comprehend the expansion of the universe and the space around us. And yet, even as that is mighty and beautiful and wonderful and glorious, you have placed your imprint upon us, humanity. You have put your imprint and your image upon your people. You see us as the jewel of your creation. And Lord God, you knew us even before we were made. And Lord, we have that instinct deepness in us that we want to be known, that we want to be loved. And yet at the same time, we come before you and before each other, broken and frail. We come filled with doubts and fears and worries and concerns within our families, within our world, within our very self. Lord God, we pray that as we gather here that your words would meet us by your spirit, that you would both comfort us and challenge us, and that we would learn to serve you with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our soul. We pray this in Christ's holy name, the one who has given himself for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. At this time, I invite the kindergarten through fourth graders to go ahead and head downstairs with Miss Melinda for our children's worship time.
As they head down and we continue our time of worship, we are reminded that we come in need of forgiveness, in need of grace, each and every one of us. So we'll do that first publicly through prayer and song and then have a time of private confession. Will you join me in our prayer? Almighty God, you have searched us and known us. You know when we sit down and when we rise up, and you are acquainted with all of our ways. Loving Father, we confess to you that there is nothing about us that you do not already know. Give us courage to come to you with all of our doubts, all of our fears, and all of our sin. Forgive us through Jesus Christ, our faithful Lord. Amen. It is a scary thing to know that God sees our full heart, and yet he is a loving God who invites us to draw near to him. So I invite you now during this time of private confession to draw near to him with your confession, with your burdens, even with your doubts. Let us pray.
gracious and merciful God, our loving Father, we don't even know the depths of our hearts, the ways that we hurt ourselves, the ways that we have hurt others. And yet, gracious God, you invite us to come, not to wait, but to come and to draw near to you, to seek forgiveness and grace, to be seen and understood, and to know that we have life in Christ. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, will you please stand with me, and we'll say these words of assurance together that come from Psalm 33. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope is in his steadfast love. Amen. Well, I invite you now to greet one another as Christ has greeted and welcomed us into his family.
The Old Testament lesson is from 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. The Gospel lesson is from John 1, 43-51. The next day... Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to be with you again this morning. Thank you, Lucy. Um, well, as we engage our last psalm of our summer series, uh, we will be looking at um, Psalm 139. It's, uh, it's a psalm of David, and the beautiful, the, the, the profound thing that, that David wants us to see is that God is everywhere. There's no place in this world, there is, uh, there's absolutely no place that, where God's presence can't be found can't get around him. You can't hide from him. His presence is inescapable. <laughs> and David picks this up, and he begins to, to move into what this presence means to him and certainly uh, what it mean, can mean for uh, you and me. And he begins to tell us really just these three things that I, I hope that we see about the presence of God. One is that, that God's presence is an inescapable reality that his presence is a disruptive threat. And then last, that his presence is a transforming joy. So let's turn together to, to Psalm 139. Uh, you can follow along in your order of worship or just feel free to listen as I read. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me, me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You form my inward parts. 
you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. Well, this is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would meet us wherever, wherever we find ourselves this morning. Meet us by your spirit to show us the grace of the risen Jesus and to change us by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So God's presence is uh, an inescapable reality. And the first three stanzas in this psalm, uh, verses 1 through 6, 7 through 12, and then even 13 through 18 are nicely laid out, and they show us how God surrounds us. In verses 1 through 6, his knowledge surrounds us. And David, he is a poet. He crafts beautiful words to, to draw us in, to, to provoke us so that, that we feel what it's like to be surrounded by God. For instance, in verse 2 and 3, he brings in these polarities. He, he says, God knows us, whether we are sleeping or active or, or whether we are at home or traveling. And he goes on in, in verse 2 and 3, he says, he says, he knows my thoughts and he knows all my ways. Or in other words, he knows how I live out my life. He knows everything on the inside and he knows everything on the outside. And <laughs> it's a disarming reality, right, of God's presence. You see, when you, look, you and I, we look at things, we see the outside, right, the, the behavior, the, but it's really hard, it's really hard to discern the thoughts. Well, we can see people who are near, but it's really hard to see people who are really far away, but not God. He's all-knowing. He is omniscient. And then in verse 4, David says, even before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. I mean, David goes so far as to say, before I do something, before I even think something, even before I know I'm going to do it, you know it, God. It goes even further. <laughs> and he says, you know it completely. I mean, this is the stuff of wonder. The reality of God that moves beyond us, beyond our understanding, that, that God knows all completely beyond the constraints of time. And yet as grand as that is, that, that what this also means is that God knows who you are intimately and completely. He sees your past, your, your, your present, your future. He sees everything. He, he, you, you can only see a little slice of yourself, right? You see yourself perhaps as young or you see yourself as as older, or you see yourself as intelligent, you see yourself as kind, you see yourself as a, a sinner, and you know more and more of these things as you live your life in the present, but only God knows who you are completely, and so we are surrounded by God's, God's knowledge, his omniscience, 
But then in verses 7 through 12, David moves us into to, to the surrounding of God's presence. And again, he draws us in with these sweeping polarities so, so that we might grasp in some way how comprehensive the presence of God can be. So he says in verse 8, he says, If I go all the way to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He goes further, if I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there, God. You're everywhere. But with this, David asks these striking questions. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And what's interesting about his, this word presence is that it is the same word that people would use for God's face. And what, what David is getting at is that everywhere he goes, there is God's face. And this is, I, I think, a helpful image because when, when God fills everywhere, it's not like he is some divine smoke or, or gas filling up a room but thinned out. No, when he is everywhere, all of him, is there. He is completely present. So not only is God present to every point in time, but he is also present in every point in space. And I don't know about you, but this is the part when David's words <laughs> in verse 8 really sing. Such knowledge, it is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. And when we get to verses 13 and 18, we begin to see how, in the presence of God, we are surrounded by his power. He says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And every part of your being is created by God, up, upheld by God. But then when you read through all the way down to verse 16, he says this, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. All of the days were ordained. God not only creates, he ordains, he sustains, he upholds your body and your soul, keeping you together at every second. He also creates, ordains, sustains, and upholds your history, right? So, so what is he saying? He is saying that, at the one end of human life, right, there is this beginning, there is this conception, right? And he says, in my mother's wombs, you knew me. You were knitting me together. But at the other end, and everything in between, all of my days, the very end of your life when you're old and you wonder, what I'm, what I might, why am I even here anymore? It is ordained. Every single day of your life here on earth is created and sustained and upheld with intention and, and purpose. And so here's what David is getting at from conception to your last breath. God is in charge. <laughs> he created you. He ordained. He sustains. He upholds. You see, his power, it overshadows absolutely every second of your life. And friends, it is this text that brings us into the wonder and the beauty of God's design. 
right? The marvel of, of God's presence in everything, in, in every molecule, in every human life, it is absolutely meant to stir in us a reverence and awe for, God, for the God who is there at conception all the way until our last breath, creating, sustaining, dignifying, upholding life. And of course, there is a, a fragility to human life a fragility that we see on the opposite sides of it, right? How fragile a child is in the womb. How needy and dependent someone is at the end of life. And it is the glory of God that he is present in the beginning all the way to the end. And that's not a cultural statement. It's not a political position. It is the inescapable reality of God's presence. So David shows how God's presence is this inescapable fact to every dimension of life. And he then, and he then begins to move us to the disruption of God's presence, that, that for the human heart, it is a radical threat. You see, on the one hand, David writes beautifully and poetically about the, the very real presence of God. And yet in verse 5, he says, you hem me in. And knowing you, God, it is too much for me. It's overwhelming. And this is this all-knowing, all-powerful, present God. When you start to realize that, when you actually linger in that, it starts to, to perhaps feel like a blanket you are smothering under. <laughs> You're suffocating underneath it. And that's what he begins to do. Where can he go? Where can he escape? And that's the thing. We... Perhaps we start to become people on the run from God, trying to escape, rebelling against his presence. The words go and flee in verse 7 of our text are the same words that describe what the prophet Jonah was doing. How can I get away from your face, O God? And you don't have to be a, a, a Bible scholar, a theologian to know <laughs> that that is actually what Jonah does. Right, God told him to go to Nineveh, and he got on a ship. And it says in the text, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. I mean, what David has in mind, what Jonah shows us, is out-and-out out rebellion. And I have to tell you, there is something both beautiful and honest and disruptive about David's words here. I mean, how many of us have found ourselves on the run, trying to flee, maybe even in, in a nightmare of sorts from the overwhelming presence of God. And when we acknowledge and respond to the very real and immense presence of God in our world, it will invariably disrupt and agitate and confront the presence of darkness, the presence of sin and death that is both in us and around us, he is light. But here's the thing, what does your heart do when you encounter real love, real grace, real kindness? Do you know the face? Do you know the presence of that love, of grace, of kindness? What does it look like? How did it meet you? Can you receive it? Can you take it in and let it change you? 
do you find yourself resisting it, trying to, to pay back the debt it paid? What does your heart do when that grace it feels overwhelming to touch, to, to take hold of? What does it do when the face that you meet, when you feel shame or guilt or regret, is not one of judgment, but of kindness and mercy? Well, maybe just maybe that kind of presence is overwhelming. It is world-shaking. It's hard to behold all of its goodness, all of its glory, and more than that, to be hemmed in by it. Who might you become? I mean, these are dangerous questions for hearts on the run, right? And the part that David wants us to hear is that, that when you are on the run, there is no place that you will be, absolutely no place where God cannot meet you with everything that he is. So in our psalm, there is a movement for David. David goes from being overwhelmed, feeling hemmed in and smothered, to outright, like, let me out of here. And then he changes again. And we see in him an ambivalence about trying to escape from God, right? Like, look at verse 7 and 10, like, 7 through 10. He asks the questions, how do I get away from you, God? <laughs> and notice what he does talks about all the extreme places he could be, he could go. He could go up, up there, down there, all the way over there and here. But then he interjects and he says, but your right hand shall hold me. And I don't know about you, but I feel the change in tone and pace. Suddenly David is, is grounded and he and I mean, we could, we could go to the reaches of what is known in this universe, and yet David is saying, your right hand is with me so that I don't get lost. A hand that, that holds you so that you don't fall down. The famous uh, author Dostoevsky once said, if, if God does not exist, everything would be permitted. And I think in part what he meant by that is that Everything is, is indeed permitted if God does not exist because all moral statements are at the human level. Everything is, is equal. And consequently, there is perhaps a sadness that rises up in that because what, what do they have to depend on, what, either within or outside? There is this freedom, perhaps, to, this, to run to go and to flee, and yet there is a silence, a, a condemnation in the running where there is no hand to hold, to hold you. So what David, what I imagine many of you know is that being on the run is not always freedom. Of course, it's easy to confuse, right? Perhaps it, it dignifies choice. There's room to breathe, to explore. And yet in every human being, there beats a heart that is looking for a hand to hold you, a face to guide you. See, the presence of God is this inescapable reality, but it is also this disruptive threat. And this is our condition, right? The human condition that we, we can't live with God <laughs> and we can't live without him. We are, we're trying to get away from that which is inescapable. And by the middle of the psalm, we know this loud and clear, and the psalm keeps singing. 
David shifts. He breaks through this sense of being threatened, even the sense of ambivalence, to seeing the presence of God as an absolute transforming joy. I mean, look at verses 11 and 12. If, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. So in the Psalms, I mean, what is darkness? It's suffering. It's danger. The possibility of death. It's terrible disease, right? Darkness are, are times of immense terror. And when you traverse the dark, you, feel, you can feel lost. I mean, it's why many of us, most of us, want to avoid talking or, or going back to the experiences in our own life of darkness, right? Of terror that we have traveled. I mean, even our bodies know. It knows when we get close to those experiences. It, it triggers those memories for us. And it lets us know just how scary the darkness really is and can be. But what if you have a God that you cannot get rid of? What if you have a God who is always there? What if you have a God who is absolutely present who has got you by the hand. And instead of being a threat, what if that is the very thing that you need? A hand to hold. God will not get lost in the darkness. He will not let go of you in the darkness. For him, darkness is as bright as the day. So let's keep going. Look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God? How vast is the sum of them? I mean, David is saying that, that the idea of God's knowledge, the idea of your presence, God, it is valuable. It is rich to me. I mean, he goes on as he is getting more and more excited about the presence of God. He is breaking through and seeing it as this transformative joy, right? Finally, he says, finally, he says, he gets to this. He says, I awake and I'm still with you. It's the climax of his journey. And you see, way back at the beginning of the psalm, it says, when I lay down, when I rise up, God is there. And friends, there is no darkness you can be where God is not there. There's no financial hardship. There's no physical suffering. There's no broken relationship. There is no betrayal or deep thorn in your side where God is not already there. And more than this, there is no death, that deep darkness staring at us all, that he will be with us in death and to wake us up into resurrection life. And God wants us to know if, if he has you by the hand, even when you go into the darkness, it will become light. That even if you go into the death, it will become resurrection. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is brought into the room of a little girl laying there dead. She's dead. And they were all weeping, and, and he sits down next to her, she was in deep darkness, making her bed in the depths, as David says. And he took her by the hand, and the words he speaks, he says, what does he say? He says, arise. And Marx lets us know that they are tender words. 
words meant for a, a sleeping child, like he is saying to her, sweetie, it's time to get up. Jesus sits down next to a, a dead girl. He takes her by the hand to hold, and he says, sweetie, it's time to get up. And he reaches right through death, and he grabs her by the hand, and with a tug of his hand, he pulls her right up through it. When Jesus has your hand, even death is just a night of sleep. And David, David knows what Jesus embodies for us, that, that even in the darkness, anywhere you go, when we acknowledge the presence of God by faith, he has you by the hand. That when you awake, he is still with you. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that even when we try to escape you, you pursue us. That in Christ, you surround us with your love and you say that you will never let us go. Father, make us aware of your presence, that it is both an inescapable and disruptive and full of life and joy. Make us aware and change us by your grace, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we join in singing? We live. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God shall be with man. You will dwell with us, and we will be your people. Therefore, with great joy, we join your people on earth and all the company in heaven in the unending hymn. many ways as we've reflected on Psalm 139, as we've reflect on the reality that God is all around us, Christ by his spirit is with us here and now as we draw to this table. Maybe we come with doubts whether or not God's even with us. Is he present in my life? The circumstances going on, the world around us, and yet, each and every week, we're given an opportunity, a sign, to see God's presence. Not just a reminder that God came and bodily dwelt in Jesus Christ, walked with us, but that even now, as we eat and drink by faith, we who are needy are given life. We who are in need of grace and forgiveness and this overwhelming love our joy is found in Christ. So I invite you now to come to this table, to come and eat and be with our God in his presence and to be gathered together in each other's presence. If this describes you and your need, then we invite you to come to the table. If not, that's okay. We are, we're thankful that you are here with us. And I invite you to reflect on these elements, this bread and this wine, and what does it mean that God is present here with us. Let me pray. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, I pray that you would use the elements of this table to strengthen our souls, to liberate us from all prejudice, to comfort us and remind us, and to humble us from our pride. And Lord God, we ask that you would use it to fortify our soul in the day and in the week to come. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. On the night when Christ was betrayed, he took the bread with his disciples, and giving thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink this, you receive the forgiveness of sins. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
I want to invite the servers to come up at this time um, uh, to receive the elements. As, as they're coming up, uh, I invite you to um, come forward and receive uh, the wine is red, the grape juice is white, and we have gluten-free wafers along with the bread. If you do not want to participate but you would like to receive a blessing, please put across your chest, and Pastor Brian and I will give you a prayer.
the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. The blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of all sins. Take and drink. I invite you at this time to stand with me and we will respond to the table in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love. Fill us with your wisdom that we may love you with all of our heart, mind, and strength, and that we may also love our neighbors as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come. join me in proclaiming our faith from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Amen. You may be seated. Well, at this time, I invite our uh, ushers to bring the offering plates down. Uh, just a reminder, part of our worship is responding uh, to God's grace and goodness to us uh, out of gifts um, that we have been given so much. And so we, we return and, and give what we can uh, based on because of his love for us. So I invite you at this time to uh, give as you can, whether through the offering plate or there's other ways of giving uh, to the work and ministry of the church. invite you now at this time to please stand with us and we'll sing the doxology. Praise God
one quick note before our blessing. Uh, because, of, because of the weather, we're not going to do our normal community time at, at uh, McPherson today. But there will be some coffee. Uh, there's an awning just outside the side door here. If you come over there, you can get through uh, the front door and come over to the parking lot. There'll be a little coffee booth there if you want to have some coffee on your way out, even just to fellowship for a little bit too. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.